This is exactly right. To think of our sons as people and to meet them where they are and to do your best and we will fall and we will stumble and that's okay. But to use a whole child approach, um, it evolves and your son will try out different versions of himself and to be his safe space and have that connection. You have your child within your home, a few more precious moments. Make sure you're focused on your relationship as well. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. And today's show is completely in line, no surprise, with our mission. And that title of this show is Nurturing Boys to Be Better Men with Dr. Shelley Vaziri Flace. Dr. Shelley is a board-certified practicing pediatrician, the mother of three sons and one daughter, an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and Anne and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. She is the author of Raising Twins, editor-in-chief of Caring for Your School-Aged Child, and co-editor of The Big Book of Symptoms. And... Of course, she is the author of her new book, Nurturing Boys to Be Better Men, Gender Equality Starts at Home. She's an American Academy of Pediatrics spokesperson and frequent media contributor who lives in the Chicago burbs. Dr. Shelley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Dan, for having me. It's great to be here. This is such an important topic, such an important topic, and this is such an important book. And as I was sharing before we started. What so impressed me with this book, your book, is the way you bring your personhood, your parenthood, your humanness to the work, the subject. And and really, it's just so accessible because you are speaking as an expert with so many years of working with children teens and families, but also your own experience as a parent as well. Thank you. Well, first and foremost, thank you for reading it (laughs) (laughs) because that in and of itself um, is a win for me. Thank you. Um, And I, I feel that it's easy to turn on the news and hear about world events and feel that we are, we don't have power to change things. And as a parent, if you're raising a small human, you have more power than you realize. Um, and I think that that's was one of my main goals in writing this book to realize that the small daily choices that we make each day, each week can cause a ripple effect and can kind of shift the tide, so to speak. 
Um, and I think the wise parents are the ones who listen because as our kids grow, kids are smart, man. They'll they'll show us the way. And mm -hmm. I think if we're open-minded to that, the old school notion of this is how you do it and not being flexible, I think that's a mistake. We all need to have a growth mindset in that regard. Absolutely. And we know that modern parenting takes a lot of thinking and it can be overwhelming with all of the stuff that's out there, all the different types of parenting approaches. I mean, there's a new term. It seems like we get new terms all the time. And some of them are actually interesting terms. And other times we're like, okay, this is the same term for this other thing that now we have a new, you know, a new little spin on it. And so it can be, it, yeah. Right? Yeah, it can be just so <laughs> overwhelming. And yet it's so important to be mindful or conscious, intentional, whatever word we want to use in our parenting. And it doesn't mean it has to be harder. It, it's just how we go about thinking about raising our kids. And this topic is, I mean, it's, it's critical to the future of everyone, how boys become men and the kind of men they become in our patriarchal system, which is slowly changing over time. But these, these beliefs are so embedded across right. our cultures. And we're just like trying to chip away, chip away, chip away. So we have a different outcome when these sweet little boys are big, hairy men. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting, as you mentioned, the different terminology for different styles of parenting and different techniques. I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect because you log on to social media and you see so-called influencers describing this technique and that mindset. And then as a primary care pediatrician working with the families in my practice, especially since COVID, families are stressed, pressed for time. Um, they're just trying to get through each day. And whether it's work, school, getting dinner on the table at night, I feel that the parents that I come into contact with, there's there's a bit, a bit of a disconnect between the pie in the sky influencer, what you see on social media, but then the boots on the ground, we're in the thick of it, you know, picking up kids from daycare, trying to figure out meal planning for the week, what have you. Um, the One of the goals of writing this book was that it's not pie in the sky. You can have some actionable steps mm -hmm. in your mind and things at the forefront to kind of make your greater goals happen. Mm -hmm. And especially as parents, we can have our goals, but then especially as our kids get older, they go to school, they're in the community, they're doing sports, um, religious education, and they start to get messaging from the rest of the world. And so despite our best efforts, then we've got to counteract that. So, right. so I think the, the actionable steps was huge for me just because in my, and I have four kids born within four years. And yes. so- Yes. Like you, you take a subject like helping babies sleep through the night. Right. I could not, <laughs> there's all different sorts of thoughts on that. And as I share with the patients, I take care of my practice. Like I couldn't have four bodies in my bed with me. That would be insane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there were certain reality based things that I had to approach given my family structure and everyone's structure and situation is different. And I try to respect that. We had three and four years, um, the, the, the extra twin didn't come and that, <laughs> that 
that was a lot. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine a four. Well, the whole yeah. people say, oh, is it harder to go from one to two kids yeah. or two to three kids? I'm like, I don't know. I just yeah, know yeah, yeah. one to three is hard. Yeah. Three to four is a piece of cake. <laughs> you know, that's really, so we have two sets of close friends who'd each have four, and they both said that two to three, or three, two to three was much harder than three to four. So you, so you similar for you, that's yeah. what you, yeah. Well, we went, I, I went from two to four. We went, I used the basketball analogy yeah. of, you know, we had two on one defense and then we went to zone immediately. Right. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, you know what? Zone's very effective. It's very effective. Yeah. <laughs> Depending yeah, on which team you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, so you had mentioned, um, the basics. And that is another part that was really um, refreshing to me in the book because the recommendations aren't, like you said, pie in the sky. They're down to the basics of family calendars. Who's doing chores? What are the um, expectations? I mean, these bullet points that are in every chapter, they're the daily things that we all have to do anyways. And you're talking about how do we think about these things? And then also like so important, how do they look for the kids? Because that's part of the socialization early on for, for girls and boys, of course, but this, this book is about boys. Oh, absolutely. This fall, a study came out, they had looked at families in um, the U S and China and preschoolers had already normalized various household jobs by gender. And so it's a mistake to think that we can have a conversation when our kid is in fifth or sixth grade and realign those values. The kids mm -hmm. are always paying attention. They're always watching us. And if they see certain patterns in place, and that's not to mean, I mean, I always, and you can tell if you read my book, I love food and cooking. Really, <laughs> I love eating. But mm -hmm. if you want to eat, you got to cook. And that's why it's a life skill. It's not necessarily boys should learn how to cook. It's like everyone should learn how to cook. It's, right. There's, um, you know, no greater life skill than the ability to nourish oneself. And so um, I always have been the main cook in the house. But because I enjoy it, it was easy to get my kids involved. Um and explore that area. And so, and so whether your interests or your particular um, talents, they may fall on gender lines and that's fine, or they may not. And I think just appreciating that diversity and letting your kids see different takes on the subject than mm -hmm. what might be out there. Well, and I think, yeah, there's many ways, right? Families function in many ways and there's behaviors from traditional to non-traditional. And then there is what is talked about. So for example, I, I was raised in a very tra a traditional home in the sense, um, my dad did the work um, out of the house and my mom did the work in the house for most of our lives and um, then went back to work when we got older. And it just felt very normal. And I think as I saw it, they each had their roles and jobs. and. I can see in certain situations, again, how what's discussed, what's the expectation, that also affects socialization. I guess what I'm referring to, I'm going to say this is you, this great article that you um, put into the book called um, I Don't Help My Wife. Oh, it was just, 
<laughs> so powerful. So everyone, this is an article from a man that was taking on this idea that this other man was saying, oh, I don't help my wife do the dishes or I help my wife do the home. And he's like, wait a second. What do you mean? I don't help my wife. I live here. I like mm -hmm. I am a co-parent. Like I this isn't like her job that I'm helping. It's our life. And I so those kind of conversations with kids it seems like are so important or even taking a step back how men internalize this whole idea of whose job it is to do what and how they behave and how they talk about it in front of the kids seems critical. And it's one of those opportunities where you're not just being a good partner, you're being a good human. Yes. I'm thinking about my three older sons are now at three different colleges. And then my baby is not a baby. She's a high school mm -hmm. senior graduating in May. Oh, you're close. And um, so my sons all have roommates in off-campus apartments. And I'm always so pleasantly surprised when I visit. Um, one of the roommates will be cooking. <laughs> one of my son's roommates was meal prep. I was doing the traditional college parent take your kid and their friends out for a meal. Mm -hmm. You know, someone's paying, yep. someone other than me is, I'm a broke college kid. Someone's funding my meal. And he was like, oh, I'm doing my meal prep for the week. I really have some chicken I need to get through. And I thought, the what? future is bright. I, this was yeah. my son's roommate. So I'm not even going to take credit for him. But yeah. um, but I see the great relationship these young men have with each other roommate-wise. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, being a good human means being a good roommate, Being means being a great team player when you eventually, um, if you choose to start a family. And, and lo and behold, it helps... Um, uh, dismantle the patriarchy. So it's win-win-win yes. yes. on many fronts. Yes. Um, and I think it's one of those situations where if we can raise humans who do these things, boy or girl, right? Um, you are one by one making the world a better place. Yes. Oh, look how you brought that in there. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so poetic. <laughs> so I think, I mean, in terms of ripping off the Band-Aid and we are like we're turning the Titanic slowly is that the whole yeah. notion of us acknowledging that patriarchy is not good for anyone. It's been around for a really, really long time. And there are tremendous costs to boys and men who are have to are trained to be a certain way um, in the patriarchy. And of course, the impact that that often the negative impact that that has on women um, being in a culture of patriarchy and with men who have very strong masculine qualities, which we'll talk about in a little bit, toxic masculinity, like, like just to, for us to put out the idea, just because it's been around forever, it right. doesn't mean it's good. Well, and there's a well-described loneliness epidemic that's happening in our older generations. But sadly, if you look at suicide rates, it's actually middle-aged men who are suffering the most. Mm. Um, and the statistics on, on suicide rates are pretty sobering. And I would argue, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to stick to my wheelhouse. I'm a pediatrician who takes care of newborns through college age. But if we can give kids tools at younger ages to better express themselves and have ways to cope if they are rejected or don't get what they want, mm -hmm. Um, 
and how to connect with others. Like you think about the typical grown woman and they have friend groups and book clubs and society accepts female connection readily. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to men, what are the options? And right. I would love a world in which my sons have a strong male friend group, have the ability to, if they have a bad day at work, to not just emote to their female relatives or female partner, but to share those tough experiences with male friends right? and mm-hmm. have those connections that really make us bulletproof for mental health purposes. So, mm-hmm. so I would argue it, and it's interesting because in this book writing process, I think if you look at the title, you think I'm all about smashing the patriarchy. It's really, mm-hmm. and you read it so you can attest to this. I'm very yes. pro male. Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm looking at this as a mom of three sons and right. hoping for a better situation for them. And I do think Gen Z is pretty amazing. I <laughs> Right. No, there is an evolution. There, there is an evolution. Some things that come up and mm-hmm. I'll discuss it with my, all of my kids, boy and girl, and it's not even a thing for them. Whereas right. I'm, right. I'm Gen X all out myself. And, yep. and so there's things that my generation is like, Oh, yep. and, and they're like, yeah, that's no one cares. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we share that in that, that generation. And yeah, that's our same experience with our kids too. And it's actually wonderful. Like it's wonderful. It's like, it's, it's, to me, it shows, it is hopeful that there is a change. Um, you were talking about being male positive and yes. So I want to, I want to, um, speak to that too. It's, you are, and you're just talking matter factually, factually about this is, this is the society we're being raised in and raising our kids in, and this is what we need to be aware of. And I think back of um, to Bell Hooks and some of her amazing work, a um, now uh, deceased African-American feminist scholar, activist, I mean, just a brilliant woman. And um, my son, who's almost 22, I think it was last year, he read um, The Will to Change, and he said, Dad, you should read this. And it was, so this is early 2000s, and this is when she wrote about in this book the idea that, hey, everyone, if we want to take on the patriarchy, we women have to help men. We have to help raise these men, support these men, understand how these men come in come to be the people that we have been fighting against in our, in the movement, because we're all in this, right? Like we, we're, we're the, we're raising them. And, um, it's, it's a very brave, courageous, uh, at the time. And now, you know, it's obviously has some legs as from what you're talking about. I love that your son recommended that book. To yeah. you. It's huge that, that yes. you should pat yourself on the back. Yeah. <laughs> for that yeah we're gonna we'll bring give my wife credit too she might have been the one to recommend it to him um i didn't think i'd ever quote beyonce in a book but i did (laughs) you did she was interviewed and we talk about like what we want men to be and 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 too often there's this oh men are this men are that kind of a whiny complainy attitude but then for those of us raising sons well then what does that mean our job is like, are we just going to feed into that? Are we just, no, we're going to raise our young boys to be the men we want to see. 
Yes. Um, so yeah, I didn't yeah. realize Beyonce was yes. <laughs> going to appear, but there. Yeah. yeah hey, well, you say something smart, I'm going to quote you. <laughs> she, she's a powerhouse as as well. Um, you know, I, I mentioned toxic masculinity, so let's let's go there now, just because it seems yeah. um, it seems very relevant. You talk about the difference between toxic masculinity and also aspirational masculinity, which I thought was a really um, a really cool phrase. Where so toxic masculinity for everyone generally thought of as being very stoic, you know, not showing emotions, dominant and aggressive, and at oftentimes violent, um, where a lot of our boys are raised to be that, to survive. Um, and this is across socioeconomic strata, but of course, where um, basic needs are less met, um, there is going to be even more of that survival mechanism built in, needed as part of that subculture. And, and again, I want, and I want to, um, acknowledge that and honor the realities of that. Um, and then aspirational masculinity, which focuses on empathy, vulnerability, and emotional honesty. Like those are very different things. If we are being mindful parents to be thinking about what behaviors of ours will produce a toxic masculinity and what behaviors of ours will produce B aspirational masculinity. And it starts sooner than we think. I think in a nutshell, instead of telling boys what they shouldn't do, tell them what they can do. Um, but as early as second, third grade, we're already putting boys in a box. Um, if they are upset about something, if they're crying as a parent, we, we, we're going to screw up and we might be like, don't cry. Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't our young son express themselves if yeah. they've had a bad day or be yeah. able to vent? Yeah. Um, and I guess to that end, I also want to point out, we will screw up. And when we do to acknowledge that, and it's okay to share with your kid, you know, yesterday when this came up, I said this and I've been thinking about it and perhaps I could have approached that differently. I think (laughs) for kids to witness us, you know, notice catching ourselves and trying to do better Mm -hmm. is a valuable thing. Mm-hmm. But um, but all too often it starts as early as third grade where we're putting our boys into a box like you're supposed mm-hmm. to be like this. And I would argue you saw you read my book. So even in pregnancy, these gender reveal parties. Yes, it, it, you're raising a human. It, it, and I think once we start planning for a boy or a girl. um, It just. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like such a part of. Well, it's always been a part of the culture. Is it a boy or a girl? But now it's like a wedding or a bar bat mitzvah. Uh, seems like for the modern gender reveal party, it gets it pretty big. Wildfires. So it's yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I prefer a whole child approach. And so, yes. whether you're a boy or a girl, knowing that your characteristics aren't gendered, and there's going to be boys and girls who are in touch with their creative, artistic sides, right? Who are into music and have a natural knack for these things. And then there's going to be plenty of boys and girls who are athletic and there's going to be boys and girls who are all of these things all at the same time. Yes. Um, yes. And just to appreciate that and, and meet the kid where they are. Like pediatricians love that expression because I think so many of the world's problems would be solved if we could just 
accept, see our kids, listen to them and support them. Mm -hmm. It sounds so simple, but it's really not. But even as soon as, you know, I'll hear about, um, you know, preschool kids are always experimenting and you look at the dress up corner of any classroom and there's firefighter outfits and princess dresses and both genders are going to try all of the above. And then a parent might be worried about it. Why? No, they're just, they're learning about how the universe works. Yes. Um, And I would argue if as a parent, you're really like, yeah, getting a strong reaction out of it, that's going to speak volumes. I think mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. it cool is a much better approach. Absolutely. <laughs> for a variety of situations. Yes, for a variety of situations. And, <laughs> you know, when you talk about um, something you just said, it's made me think about the expectation. Oh, meeting the children, meeting them where they are. And then we have societal expectations and we have standard testing and we have grades and metrics and when you're supposed oh, to do this, when you're supposed to do that. The pandemic did a lot of awful things and we're still kids, teenagers, young adults are still trying to, rec- many are trying to recover from the isolation and the um, the environmentally forced developmental delays and experiences that, that happened. However, for example, in our center where we support a lot of neurodivergent um, children, teens, and families, it was a breath of fresh air. The timelines went away. The expectations went away. You could actually do what your child needed, do alternative schooling. Um, the timelines for going to college, to do to, to matriculating to this and that, it all got blown up. And all of a sudden, for many families, it was like, oh, I can breathe. I can actually do what my child needs instead of what I'm told I'm supposed to be doing societally. Absolutely. And, and having kids now that I know how old your kids are, and as I shared, I've got a high school senior and three in college. And it's interesting because I'm 49 years old and so many people in my age group are on third, fourth careers or just, you know, pivoting as Mm -hmm. needed. And then you look at the classic second half of high school a lot of the schools that my daughter applied to for engineering, they ask you to choose your discipline, civil engineering, electrical engineering. These kids are 17 years old. How do right. they know? Maybe they no. should get in the, <laughs> right. actually start learning the discipline. Right. And so, and I think it sends this dangerous message to society like, okay, you're this age, you need to know this. I remember my daughter, she, I hope she doesn't tune in. She would yell at me if she knew I was talking about her like this. But there was a, one of the schools had an essay, why do you want to be a civil engineer? And she's like, what on earth am I supposed to say? Right, right. And I so don't know. I yeah. feel like getting those questions makes families feel like, oh, we're supposed to know this. Right. No, we're right. not. It's right. ludicrous. And I, and, and I agree, COVID's been such a breath of fresh air. But I will say this about COVID. I feel like there's a lot of grownups for whom COVID was a blip on the larger radar. And we're forgetting that it was such a huge part of our kids' existence. Right. And for my patients who are in first grade right now, it was half their life. Right. And I have a number of kiddos for whom the kindergarten or first grade teacher is saying they don't know how to sit still and listen. Yes. And our educators are amazing, but I feel like some of us need reminders that these kids just figured out how to sit in a circle <laughs> yes. with peers. Um, similarly yes. with our high schoolers, like life hasn't, there's, 
I always like to say normal is a setting on a dryer. There is no such thing as normal. Yeah. Um, oh, I like that. Normal is a setting on a dryer. <laughs> yes. It's no, and in, in the world of pediatrics, we really frown upon saying normal. And I actually have to catch myself a lot. Right. We right. try to say typical. So right. like for even motor skills development, what have you, there's a typical range of development. Mm -hmm. um, there's not normal and abnormal. But yeah. to that end, I think that we do a better job as parents if we can respect the unique time frame that our children have lived through and realize that, because I think sometimes there's this tendency, oh, when I was your age, blah, blah, blah. We didn't live through a pandemic. No. <laughs> Even no. the ubiquitousness of screens pre-pandemic, I really feel for our kids growing up in a world where screens are everywhere. Because yeah. I'm 49. I sure didn't. No. So in the social dynamics and even starting right. in junior high. And then I remember when my kids' classmates were all getting smartphones and they were the last kids their age on earth to get a smartphone. Yes, I was right. that parent. And then yeah. everyone's getting Instagram accounts, for example, and, right. you know, all those struggles. But right. I, to that end, I'll just throw in a little, you know, yeah. test plug here. It's easier to open a door slowly. Like once you just fling it open to then like rein it in is so hard. So my best it advice is. to parents in terms of screens and social media is to just baby steps because you can monitor, see how it's going Yes. It has very real mental health consequences for kids who are spending too much time online or looking at everyone posting the top 1% of their lives while they're sitting on their yes. couch in pajamas. Yes. And you do. And you do, of course, hit on screens because this is part of parenting these days. Um, yeah. And this is a good time for us to reference the ginormous impactful studies that have come out, came out in 2023, validating what many of us who work in the mental health and medical field knew which is the longer kids are kept off of technology and particularly social media, the better outcomes on mental health, not only in the immediate um, future, but in the even longer term future, which is, it's, that is so powerful. And when I discuss it with patients in my office, I frame it as giving a gift to yourself because the ability because when it gets really bad, usually my advice is we got to cold turkey for stretches at a time and mm -hmm. go without. Because I think to for kids of, you know, if they're even 12 or 13 years old, to give themselves the gift of that peace and calm and not getting dinged with notifications, you're giving yourself a gift. And to kind of recognize the difference that the, the way that life can be different, whether you're off a screen or on a screen. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, time spent on a screen is time you're not doing other things, such as talking to a friend in real life or going on a walk in nature or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. breathing <clears throat> or getting sleep. Sleep is a huge thing. No one's sleeping enough. And screens are a big reason. No, right. All right. I, this is not where I was going to go, but I just going to reference this because I just did a podcast um, earlier this week and the organization that our guest works for baby center, they had a study that they did about tech use. And they were talking about millennials and it was actually a, a, an affirming article on millennials. Um, but I was sort of aghast by this. This statistic was the like modern millennial, I believe it was, it was mother. It might've been parent. It was mother and or, or parent spends 
eight hours a day on technology. And, and, and they said, um, what's the generation before? Um, it's not Gen X, right? Is it Gen, whatever the generation oh, yeah. before? Is it Gen us? Is that us? Okay. They were saying yeah. that. So Gen X, they were saying that, um, we spend seven hours a day. I'm like, really? How, what's being counted? Because that just seems like a lot of time on technology, or maybe it is that we just don't realize how much it is a part of our lives for everything from shopping to communicating to recreation. Like it's just, it's a lot. Right. Yeah. Well, and how many times do we hop on our phones to order a grocery item, but then right. you get sidetracked and you're checking yes. things that you really didn't right. <laughs> need to. Right. And to that end, I had read a statistic that was pretty sobering that millennial moms feel more pressured than ever to do it all. Work, be yeah. amazing parents, have, you know, a, a right. picture perfect home with fabulous decor. And and that's, you know, whether you're a child growing up, seeing other people's social media, or you're the, actually the parent, this pressure to be perfect in every realm, it's just impossible. It's yes. just not a possible standard. And in my practice, um, of a lot of families who are growing their families. And when they have a second child, there's always that, how will we ever love our second child as much as we love our first? And as we know, love is not divided, it's multiplied. Mm -hmm. um, and I tell them, you know, it, it, first of all, like the, the greater gift here you're giving, if you have the ability to give your child a sibling, that sibling relationship outlives parent-child, romantic, friendship. They're mm -hmm. going to have each other forever, which is a beautiful thing. But as a parent, lower your standards. And if everybody makes it to bedtime fed and alive, you had a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Just lower your standards. Uh, Dr. Shell, you're a breath right. of fresh air. A breath of fresh air for everyone listening. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I... Um, Okay, I want to go back to our topic at hand here and something yeah. you said earlier. So I was we were talking about sort of expectations and what kids see and how it starts early and 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 how it's just this patriarchy way of raising um boys and girls is just so wet it's woven into the fabric. So here's a personal story that I thought about which is um I have a younger brother and it was very common growing up in the early years for us to have um, breakfast together. And my dad would have breakfast with us and my mom would be making breakfast and serving breakfast. And we'd all be in the kitchen together. And my dad would always get up from his seat um, and get ready for work. And we were still there and he would walk out the door. But before he'd kiss each of us on our heads and say goodbye. And at some point, and I think I was towards the end of elementary school mid end of because you said third grade this is what reminded me yeah um and i noticed he stopped kissing me and he would kiss my brother oh and i just went hmm and i noticed and i and i'm glad i guess apparently i said to my mom one day how come dad doesn't kiss me anymore and wow. to her credit she told my said yeah, this is what Danny said. What, you know, and he said, Oh, I just assumed because of the age he is now that he wouldn't want that. Wow. Right. And so that is just a perfect example of how men, fathers are thinking about their sons. Because as I see it, 
separated from it, that's logical. That like that I, I get where he's coming from. But then he after he got that information, he started kissing me. You know, I didn't know any of this happened till later. All of a sudden, he started kissing me on my head like he used to before he left. Right. Right. Yeah. That's wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And it's a yeah. testament to how for your father, it wasn't even a conscious decision. It was right. just kind of messaging that he had internalized that, oh, I guess I'm not supposed to do this anymore. Right. That's right. Wow. Right. And going back, because it's all about the footprint, um, he had a father that I imagine probably rarely ever kissed him ever. So in his, uh-huh. in his, like he was being progressive by kissing us, right? Like it's, so it's just, there's always these, these layers to this. Regardless of where we come from, let's, let's talk about this, those very simple, basic things that parents can do to start this process early of raising these boys that can communicate, that can have empathy, that can show vulnerability. So I call that early intervention. I'm wearing my pediatrician hat. Mm -hmm. Um, All kiddos birth to three, if there's any sort of delays like speech or motor skills, in Illinois, we call it um, CFC, Child and Family Connections, but it's basically state-funded assessments and help because we've noticed. So as an example, I actually had speech therapy myself when I was in third, fourth grade, and then one of my boys had it as a toddler and didn't need it later because if you act early, that means you've intervened early and you've done better. So I think that setting the stage early um, really makes a difference. Um, so for toddlers specifically, they watch her every move. If you hand a toddler a smartphone, they know what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little scary. Mm-hmm. Um, they love to imitate the grownups around them. So even simple household tasks, dusting, using a Swiffer, helping mm-hmm. put the wet clothes into the dryer. All toddlers want to do is be a part of the adult's world. And I strongly recommend that families capitalize on that interest. And um, it's interesting because I've seen some videos of kids helping with household chores and then their voices saying, let them be kids. And there's a balance there, right? I'm not talking about child slave labor. (laughs) Right, right. But I mean, speaking personally, having four kids meant a lot of groceries and by golly, Whoever went and bought the food, we need help bringing it in. You're the mm-hmm. people who are going to eat it all. So, yes, we're all going to throw on shoes and go out to the car and help unload. It's part of that teamwork. You know, it's right. not somebody's job necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan, you had said something earlier in our conversation that made me realize um, uh, you were talking about your parents and the structure growing up. Something I like to say with the families I take care of in my practice is there's labor and there's unpaid labor, work and unpaid work. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to a sleep deprived um, couple who has a one month old who's not sleeping through the night, they'll talk about how they handle their nighttime awakenings. And often I'll hear, okay, well, he has to work in the morning. So I'm the one who gets up at night. And I'm that person who interrupts and says, you are working as well. It's right. just unpaid labor. Um, right. So I think kind of reframing work is work, whether right. you're getting paid from a third party for it or not. Yes. Um, 
but I'm kind of getting off track of your question. But yeah, my no, my feeling is to capitalize on young children's interest and motivations. Mm -hmm. And the problem is it does take longer. It will take longer if you engage your child in a task, whether it's mm -hmm. helping. This is a podcast. Right. So for the listeners out there, I'm using air quotes right now. Yes. <laughs> when your yes. child helps you cook dinner, it will take twice as long. But I would regard that time as an investment in their future because, and first of all, like it's time together and you're connecting right. and you're doing something meaningful together. And side Absolutely. note that connection is such a big part of this and the conversations you have while you're doing other things. Yes. Especially by the time our sons hit junior high, high school, if you're like, how was school? If you ask like dead end, yes, no questions, you're not going to get a robust conversation. I find that the best conversations happen while you're doing other things like driving in the car mm -hmm. or preparing a meal together. Or one of my sons to this day wants to play catch with me in the yard, which I love. Mm. And that's he's my quietest of my sons, you could say. But he's not quiet if you're playing catch. That's mm -hmm. when I find everything out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. connecting too. We think about uh, sleep deprivation. Our kids um, were not sleepers for years. So my wife and I, we were sleep deprived for years. And in those early years with all three of them, I found myself, I mean, this is one of the perks for everyone. I found myself... Um, I was a newly licensed psychologist and I was ending up directing a, um, a counseling center and having a lot of new experiences of management and Medi-Cal contracts and all of this stuff. So there was a lot coming at me. And one of the perks of sleep deprivation, I remember coming home and saying, you know, it's really weird telling my wife, all the things that used to stress me out they're not stressing me out as much. I'm like too tired to be stressed. I'm just kind of rolling. <laughs> I'm just rolling with it. It was like this little like, huh, I'm just using my energy elsewhere. And uh, there was something to be said by not getting so tweaked by all the little things that were coming at me. So, but I, to, to your point, um, everyone's working. Everyone's well, working. And I think that's one of the awesome things about parenthood. It puts things into context. Yeah. And I will argue till my dying breath that parents are the best multitaskers, know how to problem solve, logistics, you name it, because it's what we do. You're just, yeah. parenthood is a moving target. As soon as you figured out your kid's current stage, everything changes and you're like, oh, we're doing this now. Mm -hmm. And so you totally take those skills to the workplace and it, for you, um, generated calm. Yes. <laughs> Amidst the chaos. Yes. Ah. <laughs> um, so as we as as we're talking about this really important topic, and part of the title is gender equality. And I realize we didn't even say what that was. So oh, let's just yeah. talk, right? Because this is the baseline. This is the foundational aspiration of gender equality. So if we can be thinking about that as one of our shining stars, it, we can put we can put things into little, you know, we could be purposeful. So how would you define gender equality? Right. Well, and and do we want gender equality or gender equity? And so that's something that I tackle in the book right away because mm -hmm. equality is treating everyone the same now today. Mm -hmm. However, equity takes circumstance into account. And so there's that classic picture of a tall fence and people are trying to see over the fence and these people are of different heights. 
And so equity would mean giving the shorter person a box so they can actually see over the fence, Mm -hmm. recognizing that not everyone is coming to the situation from an equal set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so I wish it were called gender equity begins at home. Um, But one thing I learned about the publishing process is when it's a whole process choosing a title for a book. Mm -hmm. And it was felt that more people understood equality versus equity, which made me a little bit sad Mm because I like to challenge people Mm -hmm. (laughs) and educate. Um, But I think that that's where it comes in mind. And to that end, my goal initially was to write a book about raising kids for gender equity, because I think Mm -hmm. it goes both ways. Um, And I was encouraged to focus. um, And having three sons, that was very, you know, a clear choice for me. But the other thing is I feel as a female growing up in the eighties, we were told, Oh, you can do everything you want. And the messaging for gender equity issues was always girl focused. Um, You can have it all, but you also have to do it all sort Mm -hmm. of messaging. And I think that the time has come. Part of the picture is that we have male allies and it's a whole online movement, hashtag he for she. But I sure hope that when my sons are in small groups in their college classes or in the workplace and a female says an idea in a meeting and no one says anything and then a male says the exact same thing and the boss applauds it, that someone right. says, I believe that's what she just said. Right. You know, just right. those little steps make a big difference. Um, and awareness that that's even a right. thing. Right. Um. I don't know if you caught the lessons in chemistry series on Apple TV based on um, the excellent novel, but early Mm. on, one of the male scientists is like, Oh, women can't do research. What? This was in the 1950s. (laughs) And it's one of those, like, if you're not living it, you don't, it was the most obvious thing in the world, but he was like a male in science in the Mm fifties. So it didn't occur to him that women couldn't lead up research projects. Mm -hmm. Of course they couldn't. (laughs) Right. Right. Perspective so, is everything. So equality versus equity, it's an important distinction. And so why the bend towards equality then? Like what what then what is equality if you've described you just right, described right. equity? I would I would and see this is where it gets tricky because as parents we control well. We don't have control. <laughs> control is an illusion. <laughs> it's a perception. As I was about to say that sentence, I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, control yeah. over anything. <laughs> it makes us feel better to think that way. So, yeah. <laughs> control is an illusion, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my next book. Um, yes. No, I, we can have more power over how we choose to raise our families and the choices we make as a household. But then in terms of societal structures, such as parental leave, which is something I talk a lot about in the earlier chapters, because the book goes chronologically. Um, And America is woefully behind the rest of the world in terms of time off after a new child is born or adopted. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that that's the Velcro stage and patterns Mm -hmm. that begin in that early stage stick over time. Mm -hmm. And so... When you ask me what would I like to see equal, um, parental leave, you know, and even Mm -hmm. in America, sadly, there's many companies that offer paternity leave, but then it's as a culture frowned upon to actually utilize that or take advantage of it, or it's seen as not being a hard worker. Right. 
um, to take advantage of those benefits. Um, I'm in the Chicago area. Um, one of my brothers had his children while he was still in California. I was so amazed at his paternity leave. And mm-hmm. it was California's way ahead the rest of, us, of the rest mm-hmm. of us. Um, and so simple steps like that, that sort of equality, I would argue, then leads to greater equity for mm-hmm. our kids. Absolutely. And uh, I am in California. And when we were um, having, when we had our kids, that um, that was not in place at the time. And that would have been amazing. I can't remember how long it's been in place, but it's very it's very normative now um, in many in many companies, organizations, hospitals, of course, in the tech, the big tech field that we have here in Northern California, you know, seems to have a robust um, uh, benefits uh, packages. And it's like, it's nuts. I, I know people that they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm off for five months. You know, my child's born, I'm off for five months. Like, it's amazing. And again, it's amazing. But yet typical in other countries like Germany and Finland and all of these other countries have been doing this for a long time. I'm thinking of a family I care for. They have two young girls. When the oldest was born, the father's company, he had a day off, went back to work, pretty much felt like he missed her childhood. Part of why he's in the position he had now was the benefits package, including parental leave. And so now their second child is an infant and he's the primary parent at home. He's taking Mm -hmm. six full months off. He is the parent who brings this child to all of her health maintenance well checks at the pediatrician's office. What a powerful message for these young girls to mm-hmm. have their father in charge of their health. And yeah. he happens to be a professional chef. So I think he's the primary cook at home as well. Yeah. And just it's great messaging. Mm-hmm. And it's and if kids see it, they can do it and it normalizes it and the world is better for it. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how we show what we consider strength. When you're thinking about this father, I'm thinking like, wow, what a, I, I, the, like what a, it's a powerful story. And I thought, what like a strong man. And I'm like, oh, that's a patriarchal um, thought. But, but I'm thinking about then strength as not how we typically think of strength when we're raising our boys to be strong boys, to be strong men, right? Like, should we be thinking about strength differently? Exactly. Exactly. And selfishly, if my sons choose to become parents, I want them to be as full of parents as they can be, not just babysitters or helping out. Um, Mm -hmm. Because being a parent is awesome. Why shouldn't they experience the full range of it? Mm-hmm. including the sleep deprivation. <laughs> it's all part of it. The red, I think the, the classic book, the red badge of courage, man, there is, there is some courage that, uh, some stuff that happens through the parenting process that we can't even imagine how we are going to come out on the other side. Right. I, and I think evolution does that on purpose, right? Like, <laughs> uh, like we, it's just, Man, my wife and I always talk about like we have learned so are like our kids are our greatest teachers, like our greatest teachers over our the life course. I it's, completely it's, agree. Yeah. So what is Dr. Shelley, what is one hope, wish, take home that you want parents to have, either by listening to this or of course the many, many that will read your book? 
to think of our sons as people and to meet them where they are and to do your best and we will fall and we will stumble and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But to use a whole child approach, whether your son is still an infant, a toddler, fifth grade, junior high, high school, um, it evolves and your son will try out different versions of himself and to be his safe space and have that connection and since I'm on this topic, even in high school, I think tend- the tendency is, have you done your homework? Have you done your chores? Mm-hmm. This isn't an exchange. This is, you have your child within your home, a few more precious moments. Make sure you're focused on your relationship as well, because mm-hmm. classes will be passed. Situations will change, but then ultimately yes. it's your relationship with each other that will matter in the long run. Oh, so important. So important. Before... Um, we had kids, we went to a talk by a local therapist. And the thing that she said, which stuck with us, and I have shared with clients over the years, and you just said it as well, is when your kids leave your house, this was at a middle school, high school, so this was very relevant, this talk. The only thing that leaves with them is your relationship the homework battles, the curfew battles, like none of that matters. It's just going to be the relationship and whether they want to stay connected to you or not based on the experience they've had with you. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, we have so many things that we have to do and so many societal expectations and so much programming that we have and still have and is more intense with media these days. Try to discern what's important from the BS. And the BS stuff still matters. Like if you don't do your homework, right? Yes, there's <laughs> consequences. And if you get really, if your grades aren't that great and you're, child wants to go to college, well, that will change maybe the path, right? But there's lots of paths. So it's just, it's not that we just let all that stuff fall away, but just try to discern the big picture, like what Dr. Shelley's talking about with the relationship versus all of the stuff that we have to do. Absolutely. Okay, Dr. Shelley, it is time for the final question, the parent footprint moment question. Here it is. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on yourself, your kids, and or those you love. My answer is a two-parter. Is that okay? Of course. (laughs) Of course. Um, I'm a physician by training. I've been pretty type A OCD organized my whole life. And I've led the first 25 years of my life where I'm going to this, I'm going to this, I'm going to this. And so luckily for me, um, we were um, blessed with fertility and had four kids within four years, including twins. Um, The twins was a surprise. I always wanted four kids, but having two kids at once when my oldest was only 18 months at the time was pretty much the universe laughing at me Mm -hmm. and saying, oh, you want four kids? Here you go. (laughs) You're going to get there a lot quicker than you thought. 
and they were healthy and what a blessing. And it really was a big wake up call as a parent that you can't, you can organize, you can plan all you like, but then life will happen. And so my answer is a two-parter because then when my youngest was in eighth grade, um, right at the beginning of the school year, um, a neck mass popped out of nowhere and she was diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma and had to go through 12 weeks of chemotherapy. Mm. Thank goodness she's four and a half years cancer-free. She's doing great. She's healthy. She's an athlete. She got into her top choice college. She's um, amazing. But that experience was, you know, the universe, mm-hmm. our kids aren't supposed to get sick. And these, this is one of those things that quote unquote, isn't supposed to happen. Right. Yet it was happening. And what was crazy is in the process of determining her diagnosis, our strategy, our plan, her protocols, how we were going to get through the recommended treatment course. I found myself um, hearkening upon skills when my twins were born, which I thought was really interesting because it was like, life was chaotic. You've been handed this situation you never saw coming. What are you going to do? And so you talked about being sleep deprived at work and how certain things that used to bother you didn't bother you anymore. I think it really helped me as a parent prioritize and put things in perspective. And as a pediatrician, Mm -hmm. I would have liked to have thought that I was, you know, empathetic in the past, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing like living through something like this to really create empathy for what your families are going through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it changed me as a person and as a parent. And I'm embarrassed to say when my oldest graduated eighth grade, there was like perfect attendance awards and he had perfect attendance for multiple years. And the people around us at the graduation ceremony looked at me like, what? And I'm like, he was sick on weekends. I don't know what to say. But I was very much like, we're never going to miss school. And then my daughter ended up missing most of eighth grade because of cancer and COVID. (laughs) Right. Right. And she's okay. And we kept our priorities in line. And, and so just that flexibility and to know that things aren't necessarily like on social media, on the internet, it's like, this is how it's supposed to be. There's Mm -hmm. no such thing. Normal is a setting on a dryer. We will figure it out. Setting on a dryer. Yes. And connecting with each other, calling upon your support as a parent, knowing when you need help, Mm -hmm. that all matters. So that's, yeah. My two-part answer to your question about what changed me. Uh, well, I'm I'm very happy to hear that she is so healthy and thriving. And thank you for sharing that. You alluded very appropriately alluded to um, having gotten through cancer um, in the book at the beginning, right? So you and you didn't elaborate. So thank you for elaborating and. Um, it's such a message of, so what I, what I thought of as I hear you is um, identifying with many of those traits of the first 25 years um, and beyond. You, we get to a place in life at times when we are metaphorically or physically brought to our knees with life circumstances. And we have like no other option, it seems, than just to completely surrender as opposed to try to control or have that illusion of control, which we were talking about earlier. And it's a huge perspective change for you to go through what you did and to get to that place of just, I have to let all these other things fall away. I I can't do all this the same way that I used to. 
and and to question even the way that you used to, right? Having gone through this. Mm-hmm. And a challenging part is hearing what the rest of the world. I think the weirdest thing is to have a child going through chemo, going bald, losing eyelashes, everything. And then the world is still rotating and you hear people worrying about their routine Mm -hmm. situations. That was hard for me. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Because it was pretty much like none of that matters. You know, it just, when your world stops, so it really puts everything in stark alignment. And I hope, and I'll never be grateful for cancer, but the silver lining is that any little milestone, any, anything we're grateful Right. Um, because if you have your health, you're doing okay. Yep. And so if your student is struggling or they need a gap year, that's okay. Yes. It, yes. Um, that stinker only applied to three schools. And I, in this day and age of the Common App, no one does right. that. Right. And I thought, well, I'm looking at a gap year. And right. me 20 years ago would be like, oh my gosh, that'd be terrible. But now I'm like, we'll figure it out. We always right. do. We will right. figure it out. Yeah. So refreshing. That's that's wisdom, Dr. Shelley. That's lived lived wisdom right there. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Dan. Yeah. Well, thank you for your work and um, just for bringing you into the work. I I know that um, I'm sure your patients adore you, and um, and I can see why you are so. I mean, not only an expert in your field, but you are so human, relatable, and um, just you, you make everything. There's a lot of really tough stuff that happens in raising kids and health and medicine, and you really find a way to um, keep it real. And it just is, right? It just, it just, it's part of part of being human. Well, I really hope I can come back because I love your work and everything that um, your show stands for. So I appreciate Thank you. You can come back anytime. And all you need to do is just tell us that you have something you'd like to talk about. And <laughs> it doesn't even matter what it is. <laughs> yeah, so I please, went really off topic today. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, anything. Anything you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's right here, everyone. We're on video. One day, I hope that you guys see us on video. I'm holding it here. It's beautiful. And here's the other thing. It is not huge, you guys. This is not like what you think about of the old school pediatric um, like cookbooks, right? This is yeah. such a manageable... I mean, this book is... I don't know, is this half an inch? Three, it's like it's so user-friendly and accessible. Nurturing boys to be better men. Gender equality starts at home. And remember, if you've listened to the show, we're also really talking about equity. Um, <laughs> Dr. Shelley, so tell everyone where they can get this and all of your books and work. Oh, thank you. Probably um, anywhere quality books are sold. Yes. Um, but Amazon, your local independent bookstore, the American Academy of Pediatrics has an online bookstore as well. Um, and it was fun to see it at our local library. Oh, I connected yeah. with readers who have junior eight high age kids and it's chronologic. And so they mm-hmm. jumped straight to the junior high chapter found some actionable steps that they started incorporating. I think there's a picture of my kids preparing taco night. And Hmm, she literally sent me a picture of her junior high son and um, daughter preparing taco night ingredients. So if you can change one or two things in your home, you're doing great. Yes. Baby steps, people. It's all about (laughs) 
being intentional and just doing what you can. Thank you all for listening. Share this episode, please, with everyone you know who has any sort of contact with a male or female. So that's basically everybody, right? <laughs> Whether you're a mother, a father, an aunt, a grandparent, uh, a, a teacher, it, this, is, this is literally for everyone. This is how we continue to evolve and make our world a more loving, compassionate place. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Thank you for being a part of our community, our wonderful community. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Two things. Try to be the person you want your child to become and ask yourself that guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com.